0: The content in this episode is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your own physician or other qualified medical health providers for any questions you have on your own personal medical conditions. Hey guys, it's your girl Booney, and you're listening to episode 138 of the Booney Breakdown Podcast, your source for all things responsible and ratchet. All right, welcome to this week's episode, guys. I am really excited for this episode because one, it is a super responsible episode but it is so educational and I hope it helps a lot of people out there um, kind of consider new paths as we talk about fertility. And so my guest uh, this week is Lisa Hendrickson-Jack and she is a fertility awareness educator, holistic reproductive health practitioner, and she has personally Um, dealt with issues surrounding birth control and she talks about fibroids and we talk about menstrual cycles and being older and childless. I know a lot of my listeners are like me where we're uh, mid to late 30s with no children and so this was a great conversation. Um, We also even talked about um, different tools you can use for your period, right? tampons pads and now we know cups those are uh gaining popularity and so i know the fellas listening might be like "Mm," but i feel like you guys should listen too because it might give you some insight on uh what the women in your life (laughs) deal with on a monthly basis and when they're trying to conceive so please stick around for that conversation i want to hop right into our pick of the week. This episode is releasing, you know, a day late just because of the holiday, Memorial Day weekend. But I will say this weekend was amazing for me because I had a chance back to back to actually socialize (laughs) with my friends. And it made me realize how much I miss hanging out with them. We were very responsible at both. It was only five people there. We were socially distant. Um... And it was great. Each time, both of them, I think I got there at like four left at midnight. Eight hours of socialization socialization on two days was amazing. If you can hear it in my voice, I'm a little stuffy now because my allergies hate me. I'm <laughs> All that pollen is like, girl, what was you doing? But I feel so good. I feel so happy. It was nice to see my friends who I have not been able to see in person for so, so long. So I just I love it. If you are not um, anxious or, you know, in a, a compromised health or immune system and you want to figure out a way to safely go hang out with your friends, I wholeheartedly recommend it. It did a lot for my spirit. Um, to do that twice this weekend, it is worth being stuffy and dealing with my allergies right now. So go, 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 do that if you have yet to do it. All right, housekeeping. There are seven episodes left in season seven of the Boonie Breakdown podcast. That's right, there are only seven more episodes. This season seemed like I don't know, it seemed way longer for me. Is it just me because I was? Work? I don't know. It seemed a little longer than normal. But yes, we're starting to wind down. I have enjoyed um, this episode. So, yes, mark your calendars. Monday, July 13th is the last new episode for season seven. And you guys really enjoyed the episode with Brian last week, episode 137. The Ratchet is on pause. <laughs> and I must say, I put in the Would You Rather this last week on Instagram. I did. One of my questions was Would you rather date Brian or would you rather fuck Brian? And it was so funny how many of you DM'd me saying, You know, I'm not answering this, skipped. But a lot of women, 175 in particular, answered it. And it was overwhelmingly 67% said you'd rather fuck Brian while the rest said date. So take that as you may. God bless y'all that said <laughs> you were going to date him. <laughs> Brian knows I kid he knows I love him also I want to shout out my Ratcheteer gang you guys are awesome last week we were charting on the U.S. charts for Apple podcast we were charting on the Canadian charts for Apple podcast and for the first time ever we were charting in Trinidad and Tobago on three different charts in Trinidad and Tobago for Apple podcast apps so thank you thank you thank you guys especially down hey Trinidad uh, um thank you it was very nice to see my podcast listed right under some heavy hitters like Oprah I mean to be in the the top three of all podcasts um relationship podcasts in Trinidad and Tobago was amazing so shout out to the Ratcheteer gang down there when this is over I might have to come visit <laughs> so yes uh thank you again and if you are new to this podcast. Um, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any app that you listen to your podcast on. You can also follow us on social media at The Boonie Breakdown on Facebook and Instagram. And just at Booney Breakdown on Twitter. We're very active um, on Instagram the most. But you can follow us there. Even if you want to follow us on Pinterest. I'm over there too, the Bony Breakdown. <laughs> Go ahead, look at my boards if you want to. And we are always, always thankful. We are so close. I think we need 12 more reviews to hit 100. Five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts. So if you do listen in the Purple app and you love it and you haven't done it, you just go in there, search the Boonie Breakdown, even if you're already subscribed, click it, scroll down. It says write a review. You can just hit five stars and that's it. But if you really want to do go above and beyond, get A plus gold stars, you can type a few words about how dope the podcast is and then hit submit. That's it. Five steps for five stars. We're almost at 100. I appreciate all of you. And I, I read every single review that comes in there. So your review could be on the next episode all right and when sharing this episode please be sure to tag us if you put it in your insta stories i love seeing it there and just be sure to use the hashtag the boonie breakdown and the hashtag pod in p-o-d-i-n so that is it for me guys look get a pin a notepad you're going to want to take some notes in this episode it is so good so responsible so good so that is it for me let's get ready to break it down hey guys it's your girl Boone, and i'm excited for uh this week's episode as you already heard her wonderful bio um i just want to take the time right now to welcome lisa to the podcast thank you for joining us
1: thank you for having me
0: I, you know, the, I think my audience might be a bit shocked by this topic, but when I thought about, like, focusing on fertility and uh, holistic reproductive health, um, but when I thought about it, I'm like, my audience is primarily women over the ages of 30, and most are childless, but I know, oh, even in my own circle, I know a lot of people who are... 40, 38 who really want children and just aren't in that space where they're having them yet. And so I'm like, this, this is the perfect episode. So I hope people aren't too shocked and they get a lot of good information out of this. <laughs> <laughs> um. So first, can you just give us some background about how you got into this space and how you became a certified fertility awareness educator?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, In my case, I discovered fertility awareness at a really young age. So I was just out of high school, you know, first year of university. I had been on the pill for period pain and heavy periods. So from my very first period, it was always painful and heavy. And I didn't really know what to do, right? Because I was like 14. (laughs) And so uh, I went to the doctor with every intention of getting put on the pill. And I really didn't have to say much because before I even finished my sentence, he was already writing the prescription oh wow and I mean I was in sports I did ballet like nothing like bleeding in a leotard right so um it uh, what I noticed was that as soon as I started taking the pill my air quotes periods which I now know are withdrawal bleeds not true menstruation were a lot easier to manage they were lighter I didn't have as much pain and I was able to kind of do what I needed to do um but then I kind of I remember thinking to myself like, wow, they're fixed. And so then I would go off of it thinking that it was fixed (laughs) and they would come back with a vengeance every time. So by the time I was then first year university, I just started a new relationship, needed to figure out how I was going to not get pregnant um, because I, I wasn't using it for actual birth control as a teen, as a young teen, I should say. I uh, realized that like a couple of things, you know, I didn't really want to be on the pill all the time. I didn't know about all the side effects that I was likely experiencing. In retrospect, mm. I do remember feeling anxious and feeling depressed, but I didn't put that together until I was older. But I do remember having migraines and my breast being sore all the time. So there's a couple symptoms that I just didn't really Um, I just didn't feel like I I wanted to be on it. But also I had witnessed women in my family who had had issues getting pregnant with fibroids and different challenges. And I had the sense that like, okay, so I don't know what it's doing to me. I know it's not helping, like fixing anything, because every time I come off of it, my periods are just as bad as they were. And I kind of had this intuition that I was like, I don't, I don't know, like, I feel like I shouldn't have periods that are so painful and horrible, and I really wanted to figure out what was going on and try to fix that naturally, I guess. Um, gotcha. I probably wouldn't have articulated it in that way, but at the time, that was on my mind, <laughs> and also, I, because I wasn't taking it for birth control all those years, I wouldn't take it at the same time. So I remember thinking to myself like, well, geez, I'm going to be stressed the whole time. If I ever miss a a pill, I'm going to always be stressed that I think I could possibly be pregnant because I really just didn't want to be pregnant. And so I remember thinking, okay, so I'm just going to use condoms all the time. And then I was like, but if I'm using condoms all the time, then what do I need this pill for? (laughs) (laughs) So all of this uh, was going on around the time that I discovered fertility awareness, so uh, gotcha. I, I discovered that women aren't fertile every day and that you could identify the fertile window. So that in combination with condoms, and I was off to the races because now I had more information that would allow me to more effectively use condoms and understand, you know, when in my cycle I could possibly get pregnant as opposed to thinking I could get pregnant all the time. Anytime.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think it's a lot of misconceptions out there and especially, um, you know, I even think about my own personal journey. Like, thankfully, I don't have painful periods. Um, I've had issues with birth control. We'll get into that a little later. But I just kind of felt like um, it was just like, you were told, you know, once you got your period, you can get pregnant. (laughs) And And that was it. It was like, oh, God, now I have to always be thinking about it. But, you know, it's really only what, like five or six days out of the month that you can really get pregnant. But we're gonna get into all this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back um, to the first one thing you mentioned about your cycle, and I feel like this is like a, a popular topic now um, about what type of product you should be using with your period. I want I want to go very simple first, and so we have like for the longest time, you know, being a black girl growing up, you could only I could only use pads because if you use tampons. Then it meant you you were fast, and then I was like, you know, <laughs> this sucks. I, I'm gonna figure out this tampon thing. I think I was like in college, and then I was like, okay, tampons, and I've been using tampons pretty much ever since. And now we have the cup,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I can't say that I have progressed there because it, I'm gonna be. It freaks me out about um, using it in public, but so yeah. So I'm gonna ask you.
1: Well, let's go there.
0: What is? The, what um, do you think? We're gonna go. We're gonna start with a cup because <laughs> that's the one that <laughs> freaks me out.
1: <laughs> um. Well, I just wanted to share that. So when I first got my period, I used pads. Also. Um, yeah. And I. I'm trying to think back, but I hated pads. I hated them because I hated feeling like I was wet all the time.
0: Um, Yeah, that diaper feeling. It's so yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) I hated them. And uh, (laughs) the first time I used a tampon was really interesting because it was our. It was I was like it was like my grade nine graduation party, and we went to. A water park and i had my period and so i i just remember um so my mom didn't have an issue with me using tampons i think for like for that reason i think it was more that she didn't use them so she was kind of you know like gotcha. you kind of teach how what you do but i remember like i bought the, the box of tampons of course i bought ob without a applicator right like that's not the best I feel like that's what right?
0: what it was right <laughs> and i was I, afraid of them my mom had ob's without an applicator i'm like how do you put this I in
1: and so I I, like I'm holding the thing oh you know the, the thing that shows you how to put them I'm holding it open I've got like my leg on the counter and I'm trying to figure out where to put this thing and then I go to my mom and I was like mom I was like um because I think I figured out where it goes and I had no idea um like I had no idea like where it went and I remember when I finally <laughs> figured out where it went and so you know you put your finger in there and then you try to get the tampon in there I went to my mom I'm like mom I'm like that's the vagina she's like yeah I'm like is that where the penis goes? She's like, yeah. I was like, Is that where out of? yeah. I was like 14 or 15 years old and I had no idea.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I laughed because I had a similar experience. I went to um, a predominantly white school for middle and high school. And um it was a very interesting dynamic between the white and black girls with periods. And it, one of my friends had a pool party. I believe it was like seventh grade. And I couldn't, I didn't get in the water because I was on my period and I had a pad on. And, and then she's like, just put a tampon in. So she gives me one. And her mom buys me a bathing suit in the the shop at the pool because I didn't even come in a bathing suit. And I'm in the bathroom, like, trying to figure out how to put this in. And I just couldn't figure it out. So I just came out and I remember I had the pad in my bathing suit. <laughs> <laughs> I would not get in the water. I just had, like, my legs dangling in the pool because I was like, I can't get no water. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me.
1: Well, I think that, you know, everyone listening will probably have a nice chuckle about all that. But, <laughs> so, I mean, the... <sighs> The first time I used the the, tamp- the tampon, it wasn't comfortable, like it was, you know, but at least it was, it was like half in, <laughs> but at least I was able to go and have fun. That's what I really wanted to be able to do. I didn't want to miss out on this um, fun thing that all my friends were doing because of my period. But so I actually started using cups when I was around the same time. So it was like around that same first year of university. We had a women's center on campus. They had brought in, they would, regularly bring in interesting speakers that would talk on feminist topics, which is how I discovered fertility awareness. And I remember I went to this, um, they had a workshop essentially. And I remember they had one of the speakers and it was really informal. So this was, it was like in a room and there was like a bunch of women in there. And so the woman at the front, I remember she had a tampon and she put it in. So by then I was like an avid tampon user. I never went back to pads. but she had a tampon and she put it in a cup of water. So anyone can do this. If you got a tampon at home, do it. So, you know, cup of water, tampon in the cup. And then you, she showed how it expanded and she's kind of like showing that this is how this is how much water it can absorb. But any human that has used a tampon knows that it is impossible because the tampon, <laughs> like, because it's in your body, right? So, yeah. the, so they're basically the, arguing the point that it's des- it's not designed for what's actually going on in your body. Like, we don't have blue mm. liquid, nor is it water. <laughs> we have blooded tissue and flu- like fluid. And when she pulled out the tampon out of the water, in the water was a swarm of fibers. And she was like, and that's what stays in your vagina. So, yeah. So then uh... and she, talked the protein, and she talked about the bleach and she talked about the dioxins and she talked about, you know, and since, you know, there's there are women who get painful periods who stop using the non-organic pads and tampons that are bleached that have been found to contain dioxins and other chemicals and toxins. Cause I mean, man, isn't that cotton so white, right?
0: How how does it get uh, going?
1: Um, And we're putting it in our vagina. You may as well put it in your mouth. Like your vagina absorbs like similar to your, your mouth.
0: yeah, Yeah.
1: So after that, after I saw that and they also showed all these other menstrual products, remember they had sea sponges and they had cups and by cups, I mean cup because this was around the year 2000. There were, there was like one company <laughs> um, oh. that made cups. Uh, I, my first cup was a keeper. And it's crazy because they're still out there. And my second <laughs> cup was the Diva Cup. But back then there was like, now there's like 100 different companies that make these cups. But, you know, back then there wasn't. So I started using, um, my very first menstrual cup was the keeper. And I, I've been using menstrual cups for like 20 years.
0: So I have a question. Because I feel like you just, that's cutting edge. I just found out about the cups maybe in like the last three years or so. Maybe three, five years. Yeah, I'm a vet. <laughs> yeah, okay, so now I have questions. Because that was going to be my one question. Like, okay, for people who can't use the cup, are the organic tampons and pads at least better than the regular ones? Which you've kind of answered already. So Absolutely. now the the, the cup. <laughs> Do you, uh, this is like a practical usage question. So as a user of the cup, do you have to take it out every time you go to the bathroom? So like if you're in public, right, do you carry an extra one that you take that one out, put the other one in, and then you go clean the other one and put that one away? Like how does it lo- logistically work?
1: Oh, I love this. I think questions.
0: that's where my mind, that's where my mind gets stuck when I think about the cup.
1: Yes. I love these questions. Um, no so when you have the cup in um okay so I mean over the years like and there's different there's different sizes there's different types like there's so many different things but provided that you have the right cup that fits comfortably when you go to the bathroom so let's say you just go and you take a pee so you urinate um the cup doesn't come out okay like the cups are pretty big I remember the first time I saw this cup, I was like, "Where is that supposed to go? Like, are you- <laughs> are you kidding me? Right? Because it's it's not a tampon. It's it's bigger than a tampon. Um, but you fold it in half and you fold it in half. So that's." Um, there's, there's two kind of main folding techniques that I'm aware of. One is, so you, it's like a cup. So you, you fold it, squash it, and then you squash it again. And so then the, the base of it is small, kind of like the size of a tampon. And then you insert it into your vagina. What's different about cups is that there's no applicator. <laughs> so mm. you have to have some degree of comfort with your body to be able to, you know, basically put your, you have to push it in with your fingers. And then what happens is the cup opens, or you have to kind of twirl the base of the cup. So you have yeah, your fingers okay. in there, and then it opens. So it kind of fills with air, pops open. And then um, once you twirl it, it kind of forms a section. So none of this hurts. It's not, it, but it, it actually forms a bit of a seal. And then when, and then once it's in there, once it's in right, then it's you don't in. feel it. yeah. Um, the, the challenge is that there is a learning curve. So when I first started using cups, it took me like three cycles. And keep in mind that I was like 18 and there was no YouTube. So there was like nothing. It was just me <laughs> and the cup. Like, that's Your it. You're brave. <laughs> so I just had to figure it out. And so I had to use it and, and twist it and, and mess with it until it, it felt like until I couldn't feel it anymore. So, you know, initially I wasn't pushing it high enough and whatever, but now there's a million YouTube tutorials. There's all these women who like you know so even if you don't get it you will and you'll get it faster than i did because you this <laughs> all this all this help that i didn't have um but yeah so essentially you when it's in place you don't feel it it seems weird that you don't feel it because like i said it's bigger than a tampon and it you know like you kind of like wow but is it
0: like is it like a, a soft like plastic or
1: so there's different kinds of there, okay. there's ranges. Some of the cups are very soft, very malleable. Some of the cups are firmer. So we're now at the point where it's like anything you want is available, and um, which presents certain challenges because you may want to try a couple to figure out what is actually going to work for you, right? Mm, so that's kind okay. of. So for me, I started like I mentioned with the keeper and the diva cup, and now I use. Um, And I'm not affiliated with anybody. But now I use the uh, Maluna Cup. Um, And I like that uh, option because they have different... um, You can choose the size, like tall or short. You can choose... Oh, okay. I
0: didn't even know they had sizes. Firmness.
1: Yeah. And then bigger or smaller. And then you can choose the firmness, like softer. And I also... recently have started using the Intimina cups so I have like multiple cups and what's interesting about the Intimina cups is that they're all very malleable so they're they're not really firm but they do form a really good suction and they have different sizes and different shapes and things like that so um yeah like
0: it's kind of like you know I guess the 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 equivalent here would be you know, all the natural hair girls who are product junkies and you try different shampoos and conditioners. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know that it was different sizes or material. Like, I just learned something new. I just always see it next to the tampons. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just my mind just can't even wrap my head around it.
1: Well, let me share a couple of the reasons why I, like what appealed to me, because it, it appeals to everybody for different reasons. So it appealed to me because when they showed me that that demonstration, that really stuck with me. And when they showed the cup, I mean, the cup is designed to just collect what you have. I felt like the cup okay. was designed for like by women for women, because the cup, if you have a clot, or if you have um, some tissue, like a tampon doesn't like, yeah, so it actually collects what you have. And also, I remember them. So my periods were always on the heavier side. I mean, they've certainly settled down now that I've cleaned a lot of stuff up from when I was in my early 20s. But my periods were super heavy all the time. And so I was changing my I got to a point where I was changing my tampon every two hours. I also have wow. fibroids, which were detected when I was younger. And of course I, I had to demand that request because I had fa- fibroids in my family. Cause also as a, a black woman, you know, yeah. in the family, half of my cousins, I know, I know so many women had to have hysterectomies, you know, including family members and all that. So, um, So yeah, my periods were super, super heavy. Like I had to change, I had to wear the tampon, I had to wear a panty liner, and I had to change it every two hours at one point. And so when I started using the cup, it was like, oh, wow, like at least I don't have to change every two hours anymore. Like there were times when I could wear it for half the day or throughout.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: And especially if you're active, then it gives you
0: something to consider. I think what just sold me possibly, you know. The things that, you know, people don't talk about, the the blood clots, right? You pass a clot. I mean, it's not a bad thing for most people, but I hate that when you pull the, it's sitting on top of the tampon.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The tampon was meant to absorb blue liquid.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Ah! (laughs) It's all connecting. Okay. I'm, you know, I'm, I might give it a try. I might go buy, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to go buy one. um, And since we're all home right now. Well, yeah, I am. Yeah, I feel like this is a good time to try.
1: Okay, but I want to tell you something, because I know this is like one of the questions that terrorizes anyone who's never used it. Right. Like, what do you do if you're like in the mall and you have to change your cup? Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I always think
1: that. (laughs) Um, So I'll just share like everyone does it differently. There's different ways to do it. So I'll share what I do and then I'll share what other women do. Because it's, I mean, it's, it's a concern. But for me, because my periods were on the heavier side, I never had the option to like wait until I went home from work. I, I mm-hmm. On my heavier days, I actually would have to change midway through the day. Um, so in a public bathroom or at home, like it's ideally when you have a single stall, you know, when you have like a door and just oh, yes. yourself. So, you know, going to the bathroom, what I do, and I'm not saying this is the right thing, do. I'm saying what I do, I wash my hands first. And then I would usually grab like a paper towel or something like that. And then I go into the stall if it's a stall or it's, you don't really have to worry about that if you're by yourself. And then I would remove the tampon or remove the cup and then, you know, dump the blood into the toilet. If I'm in a stall by myself, like it's just me, one toilet and it's Oh, then you can wash you it. Rinse you can rinse it out. It. Yeah. And then you put it back in. And then if I'm in a stall, so what I do now is I, cause I've, like I said, two decades, I'm over it. So I just, <laughs> I'll just, i just kind of um, hold the paper towel, whatever. And then I just dump it and I put it back in. But a lot of women um, will bring in like a water bottle and rinse it out. But like I said, 20 mm. years, I'm over it. I'm not afraid of all the stuff.
0: You're like, I, I, I'm a pro. But you okay.
1: can just, you know, take a water bottle in, rinse it out, and then put it back in and you're good to go. And then okay. you just wash your hands again. Yeah. So it's like, and then some women, um, especially on the days that aren't heavy, you can just wear that thing all day. So you don't necessarily have to worry about changing because you can wear it for 12 hours. So you don't have to change it.
0: That is just that blows my mind because it's such a change to the normal practice yeah. you've done. Like what? I've been doing this 20. I've had a period what 20 something years now. And so it's like every four hours this you have to go change. But, but it's not for- absorb it. Right? Yeah, I mean, not
1: collecting bacteria. I mean, you can't leave it in for days, but at the same time, yeah, you can leave it in for 12 hours. Like, you can
0: that's a win, yeah, <laughs> that's a big win. So, I kind of want to pivot now before you know we try to get as much in, and then people can connect with you on their own. <laughs> um, birth control, you'd mentioned that in your personal story, and I too had a story with uh, birth control, I don't have. Heavy or crazy, insane period. I mean, well, I have a heavy day, but I don't get cramps. I've only had cramps like once in my life. So I have a pretty easy period. It can be long, like six days sometimes, but I'll take that over cramps. And I tried going on because sexually active, don't want to have a baby. I was on birth control. The pills, my body hates the pills. Like I've tried low dosage, high, like, every pill that has come out I probably tried my body hates it um and then I switched to depo which I had no adverse reactions versus except weight gain <laughs> which kind of sucked I'm um, so then, I just now I'm not on any birth control I'm I just use condoms for uh birth control and so with your story and, and the knowledge that you've gained in your career like how long would you suggest that women stay on birth control?
1: Um, <laughs> well, that's uh I, I would say that with birth control, my main I've got a few issues with birth control, but my biggest issue with birth control is the lack of informed consent. I mm, it's a okay. really big problem that birth control is not um like I'll give an example, I'll give an analogy. Like when you eat a banana, you don't need to worry about possibly increasing your risk of like liver cancer and cervical cancer and breast cancer Mm. and it certainly isn't associated with like loss of libido and depression and anxiety so um but somehow in our culture we really don't even think of the pill as medication and you know like a hundred million women worldwide are on it and and when women are put on it I've really met like two women in life, (laughs) maybe one who's ever told me that their doctor opened like, you know, okay, I want to go on the pill. Okay. Let me open up the insert and, go through all of the side effects with you. And if you start to experience panic attacks, if you start to feel anxious, if you start to feel depressed, if you start to have intrusive thoughts or paranoid thoughts, if you start to have recurrent yeast infections, if you start Mm. to feel like you don't have a libido anymore, if sex becomes painful, if you um, notice that um, you have headaches or you know pain chest pain or like like if if someone actually goes through this come back to me because we do know that there are side effects associated with it um you know a lot of women don't necessarily experience these things but also a lot of women wouldn't even know that it could be related so <laughs> they yeah. wouldn't necessarily make the connection so um that's one of my main concerns with it because a lot of women do have side effects but don't know it could be related if nobody tells you that panic attacks, and anxiety, and depression could be related to birth control, then um, especially if you go on birth control, and you don't get those side effects right away, like if you start developing those side effects, like three or four years in, which is actually quite common, then by three or four years in, you just think it's you, because
0: you would never think
1: that, like after you've been taking something for like five years, why would would things switch up now? Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of women end up having like these panic attacks and these like you know all this stuff starts to happen to them and like on a desperate night of like searching online then they find like oh it could be related to the pill and then they go off of it and then eventually their symptoms subside so that's my biggest issue with it and also I've recently interviewed a number of women who actually had the severe adverse effects like mm. pulmonary embolisms stroke and again oh
0: gosh that's so scary
1: it is and the thing about it is that um, so if I smoke cigarettes, like cigarettes are also, also have like a black label warning because we know that it can kill you. <laughs> and so, but, but the thing about cigarettes is like when I bought, like I don't smoke, but if I were to buy, um, a box of cigarettes, like in Canada on the box are pictures of people with like mouth cancer and like black lungs. So like, you can't be like, I didn't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. But
1: if you go on the pill, like the doctor, um, the women that I've spoken to and, Pretty much all the women i've ever encountered in my entire life no one ever told them look If you have, if you start to get headaches, severe headaches, uh, migraines with aura while you're taking this, you need to come back to me. Because if you have headaches while you're on this, you could be at an increased risk for blood clots and stroke. We know that it's relatively rare, but it does happen because it kills hundreds of women every year. So at least if you have these symptoms come to me. So that's like my PSA for the day. I mean, I'm not trying to say no one should ever use birth control. What I'm trying to say is that as women, it's a medication and there are, side effects ranging from mild moderate to severe and really and truly we should be informed so that's the first thing
0: gotcha I, I would agree with that and I think too like when I decided to make the decision to go off of birth control I was just researching and I, I'm hoping that you can clarify this because I'm no I'm probably not getting it I'm not gonna say the statistic but one of the things I read it was talking about messing um, Birth control having an adverse for re- re- uh, reaction to your sex drive and your sex life, and one of the things I read that always stuck with me was that it said um, some women said that birth being on birth control shrunk the the physical size of their clitoris. Yes, and for me, <laughs> I'm like the the, the 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 part of your anatomy that gives you the most pleasure, right? It's it's literally physically shrinking that. And I think that was like my final straw, honestly. Like, nope, I I, I can risk some things, but I can't risk that. So is that that true? Because I know this was years ago I looked this up, but I just want to bring that up.
1: Well, it's funny that you mention it. So there's a study that was done where they took a small group of women and put them all on the pill and measured the clitoral volume um, and also the volume of the vulvar tissues so that the the tissues around the vulva like the vaginal opening and those types of things and the labia and in that particular study so again it was small but all of the participants experienced a decrease in the volume of the clitoris so it shrunk all their clits and the average uh shrinkage was 20 percent now i've had people tell me well that was a small sample size it's not statistically significant blah 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 you know what if you do a study And all of the women in the study have clitoral shrinkage when they use the pill, then (laughs) the question isn't like, oh, don't shoot the messenger here. The study was actually done. And you can tell me that it wasn't statistically significant. Like I love I love when people say your science isn't good enough. But at the end of the day, like that would seem to me an appropriate stepping stone for further research. So the real question is, where is the study that measures the thousand women? Where's that study? You know, that, so so we should, because if, if you're telling me that it's not statistically significant or whatever, I mean, that's pretty significant. So um there's a number of studies that have been done on the effect of birth control on sexual function. And so there are studies that show that it does shrink the clitoris. There are studies that show that it thins the vulvar tissues. So thinning, for example, the tissue around the vaginal opening. So... <clears throat> And there are also studies showing that women who use birth control are at a greater risk for experiencing painful sex. So, I mean, mm. there are women, so although it's not like the vast majority, right, but there is a percentage of women who take birth control and who start to experience painful sex. And one of the most common ways that that's experienced is pain um, on penetration because of the, like, because of the, the thinness around the vaginal and, wow,
0: I'm, I'm, wow. And those
1: are the physical <laughs> side effects. So there's a number of studies that have looked at sexual function. So look at um, libido, look at sensation, intensity of orgasm, ability to orgasm. And so um, many women report that when they're on birth control, they lose some degree of their sexual function. They don't want to have sex anymore. There's actually a running joke that the reason that birth control works is because you don't want to have sex anymore um oh <laughs> yeah. and and also there are women who then have um reduced sensation or they notice that it's more difficult for them to achieve orgasm so um i mean and that's one of the one of the reasons why a lot of women don't stay on birth control but my question then is for the 14 year old girl who doesn't even hadn't hasn't even had an experience of her full sexuality. How would she even know that her libidos? How would she even that know part? Yeah, like maybe she just thinks Oh, there's something wrong with me. I can't orgasm. How would she even know? She yes. never even had an opportunity to experience her sexuality in full.
0: Yeah, that's so upsetting. Cause I remember when I read it, I was like, okay, you know, of all the things that I was going through. And when I saw that part, I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> we're we're gonna make the choice to go off of this. And I remember the conversation with uh, my doctor, I ended up changing gynecologists because I'm like, you also did not realize that in this time frame that I've been on this, some of the symptoms I was having, um, my blood pressure was damn near. Like when I was on the pill, my blood pressure was like damn near stroke level. Um, But none of this stuff you noticed. And I I was coming and complaining and saying I'm having headaches and this. And it was just like, Oh, just keep taking it. It's fine. We'll switch you to a low dose. And it, it, <laughs> it didn't go away. <laughs> so I remember I was just so upset. Like she's not listening to me. So I went, I switched to a different gynecologist and, um, she was like oh my god you need to immediately get off this pill like I think my blood pressure was like it was like 180 over I mean it was something insanely high
1: Jeez, oh, that's super high yeah. and the headaches <laughs> see this is what this is what I mean and uh, there's there's something to be said I mean it, it, when you talk about stuff like this it can really come across like we're slamming doctors but it's often not necessarily the fault of the individual doctor it's the fault of the system that trained mm-hmm. the doctor because doctors are um, the way from my understanding, and this comes from interviewing a number of doctors. So I interviewed a number of doctors for the podcast and for the book and all of that. And, you know, I asked questions around what is it? What do you, what are you learning in med school? And what did you learn about birth control specifically? Like, how did you learn about these risks? And so the, the risks about, you know, the emotional risks, depression and anxiety and stuff like that, those are often minimized, not discussed or and that's why a lot of women feel like they're being gaslighted because they're not life threatening. So it's kind of like you're just complaining. Um, and unfortunately, that is kind of how it's presented. It's kind of presented yeah. as this annoying barrier that doctors have to overcome. Like, oh, how do I get these women on the pill? I mean, without discouraging. Like, So there's that aspect of it. But then when it comes to the life-threatening side effects, it's presented in a very specific way. Like women who are 35 and older who smoke or who are overweight have a greater risk. So doctors are kind of primed to really look for uh, women in those risk categories. So if you're 20 and you're skinny and you don't smoke, they're not really thinking that you have any risk of having a stroke because that's not how Uh. they're taught. And so um, this could be an amazing opportunity to address the way that doctors are trained because ultimately if doctors were trained in medical school that all women are at risk of um, stroke and, and these side effects and all patients need to be counseled by law about these risks and told that if they ever experience a headache dizziness etc cetera, etc cetera, that they need to come in immediately if, if that was a standard women a lot of women wouldn't be dying I mean that's a huge yeah. huge problem.
0: Yeah, I I, I totally agree. And I think, too, it's it's so hard. Um, I think it's one of the biggest lessons that women actually have to learn um, is advocating for themselves. And you wouldn't think that you would have to advocate um, with your medical professional. But sometimes I feel like that's where I advocate for myself the most. Um, Because I, I definitely was just like, you know, I'm gonna listen to my body, something's not right here. And I'm going to go get a second opinion. And so I was glad I did because as soon as I went in with a fresh set of eyes and, you know, she didn't say anything negative about my old doctor. It was just like, oh, my God, like, no, we're going to stop this now. Like, stop taking it.
1: (laughs) Well, I just got to say that, I mean, my experience is is a bit different. Like, my experience says that that's exactly what you said. That's where women often have to uh, advocate for themselves the most. I I would second that. And and it is really unfortunate, but it's the truth. And I think that you're amazing. And you're not necessarily the norm. You had these symptoms and you trusted your intuition, even though your doctor didn't really take them that seriously. You basically fired your doctor and found another one who would listen to you. A lot of women, um, when the doctor kind of dismisses their symptoms and things like that, don't have the wherewithal to to, to trust their intuition. I mean, we're taught to listen to our medical professionals. We're kind of taught that they know everything, that they know, like they went to medical school and so they must know more than me. Well, no, no one knows more about your own body and your own experience than you. It doesn't matter. The doctor could be in medical school for 40 years. They'll never know as much about your body as you. So what you did is so important and everyone needs to hear that. You just listen to your own self above what the doctor said.
0: Thank you. Listen to yourselves, ladies. (laughs) Um, I just want to pivot one more time before we wrap up. And um, a good amount of my audience, myself included, are over the age of 35. And even I look in my friend circle, not me per se, I'm not, I don't know if I want children or not. So I'm not kind of pressed about it. (laughs) But I've been having... um, I have my, my, my new gynecologist, she's forward thinking. And, um, she had, she was trying to encourage me to do fertility testing because she's like, you're 35, you've never been pregnant. Not, I know you don't know, but you don't want to wait till you get to the point where you do, if you decide, yes, I do want children, um, that now you don't know if you can, you don't know what's going on. So she's trying to encourage me to be proactive and i just feel like so many women who are and i'm doing older in air quotes because i don't want anyone to beat me up (laughs) who are older and who don't have children but want children is that something that you two would encourage them to do to start looking at their fertility odds
1: um well that's a really interesting question i just have to say that i find it to be super interesting um, that your doctor's kind of like, you're this old, you've never been pregnant. And it's a theme that we should just be aware of. This idea that if you're not on birth control, it's either birth control or pregnant. <laughs> when I was young, it wasn't like that. Like it wasn't like that when I was growing up. Condoms were taught to be an effective method of birth control, but I just wanna point that out that the one of the possible reasons that your doctor could be saying those things is because she knows that you're not on birth control. And it's kind of like, wow, this is weird. You've never been pregnant because birth control, not being on birth control is considered to be the same as being pregnant. And so she's kind of like, oh, there must be something wrong because you're not, you've are not. you never gotten pregnant. So I just want to call that out as a possible Yeah, that's a, I
0: didn't even think about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I called yes on that.
0: <laughs> and I laughed because she definitely, um, it, it's like, are you sexually active? I'm like, yes. she's like, and you're not on birth control, all right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I've
1: actually, because... So just to give an example, because I mean, fertility awareness, that's that's what I do. That's what I teach. And that's what I practice personally as well. And so I've, I've worked with so many women over the years whose doctors can't understand what's going on. And I've also worked with women over the years who, they, they, okay, so you use, let's say you use fertility awareness. So it's basically you track your cycle, you identify the short window of fertility every, you know, every cycle, and you okay. don't have unprotected sex on those days. And let's say you do that for, like, three years (laughs) and you never get pregnant because you can't get pregnant if you don't have sex on the days where you can possibly get pregnant. And I've had women who basically are wondering if they're sterile because their doctors keep saying things like, oh, well, you know, this is really weird. You haven't been pregnant. And, like, let's say, you know, and I've also, um, I, I did a podcast where I talked about the reasons why the method fails because sometimes women will use the method correctly for like a year and they don't get pregnant and they actually start to wonder if they're not fertile (laughs) and then they'll like you know like have sex on a questionable day meaning a fertile day and then they get pregnant (laughs) but it's like they were testing the waters because they 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 really didn't like they still didn't trust it even though the method was working
0: And so that's the thing. I'm going to, like, I had to do better with that myself because I'm like, okay, I was, like, just tracking my period. Like, I usually just only use my period app to track my period. Like, okay, what day is it coming? All right. That's all I care. And so now, like, I'm like, okay, pay attention to those green days. (laughs) Well, yes. They mean something, too. Well,
1: pay attention to your <laughs> mucus. I think yeah. that your body is the best indicator, and it should always come, apps should always come secondary. But I just wanted to point that out, because I find that that kind of idea, because you are using protection, and condoms do work. I mean, I understand that there's a failure rate to all methods of birth control, but condoms are 98% effective when used correctly, and um, yeah, so there's that. In terms of your actual question around as we get older, should we be paying attention to our fertility and what what should that look like? I do have an opinion about that. And one of the things I think is really important as we get older for us to think about as women is that I think it's really important to start questioning your choice of birth control method as you get older. Um, Okay. A lot of women, you know, you're 16, 18, 21, and you go on birth control because that's the best option for you at the time, based on the information that you have, right? I mean, if, if you're 21 <laughs> in the middle of college, yeah. you know, it's it's not a good time <laughs> to, to get pregnant. And so the thing is that often as we get into our like mid to late 20s, early 30s, we may still be um, operating from a decision that we made 10 years ago. But we're mm. not necessarily the same. So a a lot of women actually abruptly realize that in one way, shape or form, where there would have been a time when a pregnancy would have been totally catastrophic and it would have been the end of the world. But maybe now that you're 10 years older, it's not exactly the same thing that it would have been. Yeah, And we've never really reevaluated that. You made that decision 10 years ago and you're still operating under the same premise. So in addition to the fact that we're not taught about our bodies and we're not taught that we're not fertile every day and we're not taught about you know alternative methods to prevent pregnancy, it's really just uh, hormones are heavily, heavily pushed much more now, even than when I was growing up. Um, we're not taught about how our fertility changes with age. And we're not taught that when you come off of birth control, there's a temporary period of subfertility. We're not taught that. Mm. Even the doctors often say, oh, you know, if you get pregnant, if you come off the pill, remember, being off the pill is the same as being pregnant, right? <laughs> Take everybody out. So you, you basically, all these women are essentially told indirectly that the second they come off birth control, they will be pregnant. And that's not necessarily mm. true. Some women, yes, some women resume their, their cycles and, and certainly get pregnant right away. But um, on average, it takes a, a minimum or on average it takes twice as long for a woman to get pregnant coming off the pill versus stopping using condoms. And with this depot shot, for example, it was an average of 18 months, uh, to, to, to pregnancy after stopping the depot shot oh, wow. uh, versus four months with, uh, using condoms. So, um, this is a very real challenge. When women decide that they're ready to get pregnant, they're ready, ready to get pregnant. And when I say that, I mean this month. And because we've all been taught that pregnancy can happen all the time and being off the pills the same as being pregnant then you know you're cool the first month but the second month you're not cool the third month the fourth month by the time you get to the sixth month or the 12th month you're losing your crap already you're at the doctor's office getting all kinds of shots to make you ovulate and all kinds of stuff and you didn't even know that maybe your body just needed a period of 12 to 18 months post pill to just recover you didn't know that because no one ever told you and the research tells us that's what we need so to summarize this what i'm saying for women as we get older is when we get to be in our late 20s early 30s if you want to have kids in the future even if it's not right away you want to start considering your birth control method you know like it doesn't mean uh, i don't believe that there's one birth control method for everybody i think there's it's wonderful that we have all these options but you might want to start considering a non-hormonal method you might want to start considering um like if if even if a copper iud can work with you there's pros and cons for every uh, Everything, let me tell you. But (laughs) non-hormonal. If you don't have heavy, painful periods, it can be, you know, a good option depending on the situation. I've I've done a couple episodes about that um, on my podcast. But it's it's important to just. I feel like we need to be more intentional. You can't just make a decision when you're 21 and think that that's going to be the same decision that's going to work for you when you're 35. At some point, we gotta reevaluate. And if you want to have children in the future. It's a good idea to get off the pill or other hormonal contraceptives, a minimum of, I suggest, 18 months to two years before you're ready to start trying, just in case, just in case, because some women come off the pill and they get their period right away. Other women come off the pill and it takes them six months. So you don't know where you're going to be. And it's a good idea just to let your body just breathe and sort itself out well before you've got that pressure of trying.
0: I like that because I've never heard that advice ever and it makes it makes so much sense just to let your body kind of settle back down into some level and I normalcy with air quotes before you embark on um, a pregnancy journey. I, I, and I think people listening to this they're I was sitting here with my mouth open a bit like shit. Never even thought of that, (laughs) like never even thought of that. And
1: the the caveat to that is that, yes, it can take your body some time, but at the same time, pregnancy is possible any cycle with ovulation. So when you're what I'm suggesting is considering coming off birth control while you're actively avoiding. So that means you have to have a, a plan and a strategy. But just remember a couple of things like I'm coming from a different perspective here. I haven't been on hormonal contraceptives for my entire adult life. I've never had any unplanned pregnancy, so I just, I, I want to just tell women, like, okay, look, being off the pill does not mean you're pregnant. Those two things are not the same. That's a lie that, I don't know where that started, but that's something that would be really helpful if I was a manufacturer of hormonal birth control, because it would really keep a lot of women on it, and I would make a lot more money.
0: Huh, that's okay? true. So, and I think to the, other... the truth.
1: A lot of women aren't on birth control, and they're not necessarily pregnant, and also You know, you and I both know many women who have very complicated jobs do all kinds Mm -hmm. of complicated things all day. You can figure this out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing too. I think the other, before we wrap up, I think the other thing that I really hate around the conversation around fertility is that the burden that it places on women, right? And so, um, yeah, we're doing all these things, but, you know, I I hate, like, it's not a, a pointing fingers, But it might not be you. It could be something, you know, your partner is experiencing too. And I just feel like women take the brunt of the infertility or fertility work that is needed to conceive.
1: Well, there's um, a woman whose work I love named Laura Owen who calls it reproductive labor. And she talks Mm. about how, you know, women are expected to just bear the brunt of this reproductive labor. So I just want to share along those lines a different perspective. So because I've never been on hormonal contraceptive in a sexual relationship with a partner I just so there was never this um, I've never been with a partner who could take for granted that they could you know have sex with me on any day and just be able to ejaculate inside of my body like we're just putting it out there because Mm. on any day right it was never that could never be taken for granted because I wasn't on anything so, because I was charting my cycles, I would, you know, take careful track of my um, my cycles and identify my fertile window. So, um, any unprotected sex was explicitly planned. And so, that means that all of my partners over the years had to um, participate. <laughs> yeah. And it meant... They're invested. Well, <laughs> but, but it's, but it's, it's sound, it might sound like it's complicated, but it's not. I think yeah. that there's... We're at a point where... as As women, not every woman. Every woman doesn't necessarily have the agency. You know, some women are in not-so-nice relationships and all of that. But I think the vast majority of us have the ability to negotiate. And I think that we should give men some credit. I think that a lot of men are totally willing and happy to step up. There are a lot of men who do it already.
0: I definitely have been in relationships, um, situationships, whatever, where... (laughs) Oh, where a guy has told me, your period's late. And I'm like, what? <laughs>
1: Tracking it. Some of these guys will, like, track your yeah. period in their own period tracker on their phone.
0: <laughs> and I go open my app, like, oh, shit, it is, like, two days late, right? But... <laughs> Just one of those things. They end up coming that night. But I'm just, I, I just laughed so much because he was like, your period's like, yeah. like you're trying to have sex? You should, you should be on your period. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, if, we, if what we want is equality, and I think also we shouldn't underestimate men. Um, if anything, the mm-hmm. work that I've done has really made me to appreciate men more. Because, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of my clients, their partners are really supportive. Some of their partners are the ones encouraging them to do this because they're concerned about their health. You know, maybe they learned about the side effects or maybe they saw it for themselves. I mean, I know of many women who went on birth control and, you know, it's not that common, but a certain percentage of women have pretty significant emotional effects right away. And their partners are kind of like, you need to get off of that. We need to figure this out. So. I think it's just helpful to hear a different perspective. There is not only one way to manage fertility. It is possible to manage your fertility without birth control. And within that conversation, it's important to note that hormonal contraceptives are not a hundred percent effective either. There are women mm. who use hormonal contraceptives and IUDs and who get pregnant. And so, you know, we we shouldn't just be even having the conversation that pretending as though <laughs> hormonal contraceptive is hundred percent effective, right? Because nothing's a hundred percent effective
0: yeah well I think this is the perfect spot to end and uh, this is the part where we do the breakdown and I'm going to say one word and you say the first thing that comes to mind it could be a sound a phrase a noise whatever okay <laughs> alright the first word is mental health <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I don't want to say the first word that came to mind <laughs> Um, Let me just say fresh air
0: Okay Birth control
1: Uh, Choice
0: Sex Mm. (laughs) Diet (laughs) Pregnancy Love Ovulation
1: Power.
0: And last one, IUD. Ouch. <laughs> I've heard pretty painful stories about insertions. So I've always been scared to do it. too.
1: <laughs> I was like, I don't think I was- it's supposed to go in there.
0: Yeah, I'm like, nope. I- I'll-, I'll-, I'll skip out on that one. Um, so, thank you so much for doing the podcast. If you could just tell everyone where they can find you on the internet, on social media, the name of your podcast, and I will be sure to link all of this in the show notes.
1: All right. Well, thank you again for having me. This was so much fun. Um, For those of you who are interested in learning more about fertility awareness and all the great things we talked about today, um, I've got tons of information in the book, The Fifth Vital Sign. It's available on Amazon in paperback, ebook, and audio formats. And you can get the first chapter for free over at the fifthvitalsignbook.com. And if you love podcasts and you want to learn more about fertility awareness, you can just type in fertility Friday in your favorite podcast player and you will find me. And I've got a ton of freebies, free video courses, things like that over at fertilityfriday.com freebies. I've got an introduction to fertility awareness um, course on there for free and also timing sex for pregnancy um, video course. So lots of good goodies over there
0: awesome so I will be sure to link all of that in the show notes be sure to listen to the podcast look there are a ton of episodes over there very highly uh they're they're very what's the word I'm looking for like they they go very in the detail so if it's a specific topic that you are looking for
1: (laughs) we're in the weeds over here
0: Lisa has you covered okay they are there so I because I went down a rabbit hole and I was listening to like four of them and I was like oh my god this is so informative so be sure to check out her podcast and Lisa thank you so much for doing this oh it's
1: so much fun it's so nice to meet you thank you for having me
0: All right, guys, that is it for this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed and you learned some new things from our guest, Lisa Hendrickson Jack. I'm telling you, she has so many topics over on her website. So if you wanted to dig deeper into something, do it. And we recorded this episode a while ago. So it reminded me, I need to go get a menstrual cup because I am going to try it while we are still social distancing and quarantining at home. And if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to listen and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Sound. Cloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or any app that you listen to podcasts on. Don't forget to leave those reviews too. You can hear your review on the next episode. Follow us on all social media. Share the episode with those you love, those you don't love, those you fucking hate. I don't make these pretty images for nothing, okay? Have a dope-ass week. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay sane. Thank you for listening. And remember, the Ratcheting Me always honors the Ratcheting You. Until next time.